0: Good morning, everyone. Good morning, morning. Happy first fruits to you all. Today is Easter. It is Resurrection Day. It's also the celebration of the Feast of First Fruits. Our Messiah Jesus died for our sins on Passover, which was on Friday. Also Good Friday, as that's as known. Jesus died for our sins on Passover. And on the third day, he rose from the grave as the feast of first fruits was celebrated early that Sunday morning at the same time as the priests were in the temple, offering up as our atonement for sin, offering up the first fruits of the harvest. Jesus rose from the dead, he offered himself as our atonement for sin, and became the first fruits of the resurrection of the dead. We read about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So happy first fruits to you all. That's the biblical way to say happy Easter to you all. We've been learning in John chapter 6 that Jesus is the bread of life and that his words are spirit and life. In John 6:51, Jesus told us that he is the living bread that came down from heaven. And if anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that he gave for the life of the world is his flesh. Jesus offered his own flesh as the sacrifice for our sins. That's what Good Friday is all about. He died on the cross so that we could have life through him. Through believing in him, we can have true eternal life and living bread for our souls. That's what the guts, what God's word tells us. And not only that, we also learn in John chapter 6 that because Jesus rose from the grave to overcome death, he also will raise us up on the last day. He says that over and over again in John chapter 6. And so as we've been learning about that, it's been pointing us to this time, this Easter celebration where we celebrate Passover, Good Friday, Jesus rising from the grave and God showing us that he first loved us. God loved us first. And he demonstrated his love for us in two earth-shattering, soul-saving facts. First, Jesus died on the cross for our sins. I want everyone to hear that over and over again. That is core and central to the gospel message. He died on the cross for our sins. Why did he do that? What, what was that all about? Why does someone have to die? Well, he took the wrath that we deserve for our sin against God. Every one of us are sinners. Every one of us. And you know it in your heart of hearts. You know that you're not a perfect person. You might be a pretty good person. Everyone thinks they're a pretty good person. But in your heart of hearts, you know that you're, you have sinned, that you're not a perfect person. That you've lied or you've stolen or that you've done something wrong at some point in your life. So we all know that we have this sin problem and we try to deal with it, you know, in various ways. We try to do more good deeds than bad deeds. We try to cover it up. You know, we'll tell more lies to cover up the sin and the lies lead to more lies and it's just a big mess. We try all kinds of things in our earthly strength to cover that sin problem, try to wash it clean. But it's like that spot on the garment that just never gets clean, no matter how how hard we try to wash it. And so we have a sin problem. And we know from God's word, clearly, uh, the the, the Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death. You can see it in, in the creation account in Genesis Adam and Eve partake of the fruit. They, they commit sin. They were the one thing they weren't supposed to do, right? <laughs> Most of us know the story. The one thing. And they went and did it. They partook of the fruit of the tree, which they were not supposed to eat of. And then God, to cover that sin, to cover their nakedness, sacrifices an animal. Something dies because of sin. And we know from the Bible, all throughout the Bible, that the wages of sin is death sin deserves the death penalty so now we got a, we got a real big problem on our hands we know that we are sinners and the bible tells us that the wages of sin is death the penalty for sin is death and the wrath of god is poured out in this world against sin and we were just talking in the house the other day and like um about the book of genesis and you know we're not even like 10 chapters into the book of Genesis and God wiping out all of uh, humanity because of our sin. And he leaves Noah, you know, one person in his family alive starts over, but it, and then it didn't, it didn't fix it. Right. You know, we're still sinners here today. The wages of sin is death. The wrath of God is poured out against sin. And that's what Jesus did on the cross. He took the wrath of God that we deserve, took it on himself, so that we could have life through faith in him, so that we could be forgiven. But that's not the end of the story. Then he rose from the grave on the third day to give us a living hope of eternal life through his resurrection from the dead. And so today is a very special day, Easter Sunday, where we dig into these great truths and as I was thinking about that, I'm like, well, we, we kind of do that every Sunday at Living Hope. <laughs> we do that every Sunday here where we dig into these great truths. And I want to emphasize today that, you know, these events that we're about to read in, in, the, in God's word in the Bible, these events are documented historical facts. These aren't cleverly devised tales that someone came up with because, you know, they have, you know, a weak spirit and they need some kind of psychology to lean on to be stronger no these these are historically documented facts as a matter of fact there are more witnesses and more documentation you know about these events than they are about george washington being our president everyone in this room no one's going to argue that george washington was the first president of this country you what kind of idiot doesn't believe that <laughs> Everyone knows that. That's common knowledge. Well, there's more documented witness accounts of what is happening here with Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection than there are of some of the major historical events in our country. These are documented historical facts. So let's look at what the Bible says about Jesus' death and his resurrection. I want our hearts to be encouraged today and our souls to be uplifted today as we read God's word together and i want you to turn in your bibles to the book of luke we're going to work our way through the book of luke today starting in chapter 22 starting in chapter 2 verse 37 And what i've done is i've just selected a few passages out of the book of luke to take us through these events so that we can see the events leading up to jesus's death on the cross we can see jesus's death on the cross and the events around that and jesus's resurrection from the dead and what that means to our lives today. So I want us to see these actual historical facts that happen. And then I want each of us to think about, why does that matter to me today? How does that change my life today in this world that we live in? So we're going to start at Luke chapter 22, verse 37. And here we're seeing Jesus is building up to the events that are going to happen in this crucifixion. And he's helping his disciples to understand that everything that's about to happen with him is to fulfill scripture. We're talking with the boys this week, and you're like, well, I think it was David was like, I can't believe how many things in the Old Testament, like, actually happened. All the prophe- these prophecies that actually happened. It's just amazing. And that's what makes this Bible different than the other books out there of religion. There's prophecy in this Bible that's fulfilled. Thousands of years before it actually happened, it's written, thus says the Lord. And then thousands of years later, it actually happens in the exact detail that the Lord said it would. You're not going to see that in the Quran. You're not going to see that in the writings of Confucius. You're not going to see that in Buddha's teachings. They don't have the ability to prophesy and then have it be fulfilled. That is unique to Jesus and Christianity and, and, and the Old Testament of the Bible, being fulfilled. And so Jesus is pointing out to his disciples, starting right here in 22, 37, where we're going to pick up. The things that are happening to him had to be fulfilled as they were written. <laughs> Jesus tells him in twenty two thirty seven, I tell you that the scripture must be fulfilled in me. And he was numbered with the transgressors for what is written about me has its fulfillment. He's referring back to Isaiah 53 12, where Jesus will die and he will be numbered or listed with lawbreakers. He's going to be accused of uh, breaking laws, of being a transgressor. We're going to see later in our text that yes, he was numbered with the transgressors. So it starts there. And then in 22:39 39, we'll pick up with Jesus praying on the Mount of Olives. Luke chapter 22, verse 39. And he, Jesus, came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives. And his disciples followed him. When they came, and when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. Now, I I emphasize this this passage because I want us to see Jesus' death was no ordinary death. There have been many men and women throughout history that have died as martyrs for the sake of Jesus, for the sake of God's word. Knowing they would would die. And they did it joyfully. They did it with smiles on their face. They did it with their hands raised to heaven. This is a different kind of death that Jesus is going to die. It's no ordinary death. He understood what he was about to do. He understood that his physical body wasn't just going to die. Yes, that was going to happen. But he understood that the full wrath of God for our sins was about to be poured out on him. And he so grieved and so so in agony by this (coughs) that his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. This was no ordinary death. And you can feel the agony of Jesus in his prayer. Oh, Father. If there's any other way, please, God, please. But nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. His sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. Now look at verse 47, Luke twenty-two, forty-seven. 47. While he was still speaking, there came a crowd. And the man called Judas, one of the 12, was leading them. he drew near to jesus to kiss him but jesus said to him judas would you betray the son of man with a kiss yeah that's from the bible (laughs) you hear about that in the story betrayed with a kiss it's from right here jesus betrayed with a kiss and when those who were around him saw what would follow they said lord shall we strike with the sword And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Now that we know from other gospel accounts, that was Peter. So Peter's ready to fight. He's got his swords. He's like, this is it, Jesus. It's time to establish your kingdom. It's time to fight. (coughs) Look at Jesus' response. Verse 51. Jesus said, no more of this. No, this is not. This isn't it. And he touched his ear and healed him. This is not how it's going to happen, Peter, the rest of the disciples. Not here to establish an earthly kingdom with swords. This is a heavenly kingdom filled with love and mercy and grace. So here Jesus is betrayed by Judas with a kiss. And even in his betrayal and arrest, Jesus shows no violence. He's not retaliating, he's not getting revenge. He could have called 12 legions of angels to take out this crowd with their clubs and sticks and things and torches, but that's not how it was going to happen. He rebuked Peter for striking the man with the sword, and then he healed the man Peter struck. And just as God tells us to love our neighbor as ourselves, <laughs> Jesus shows love to his enemies even to the very end. And he instructs us also to love our enemies. Look at verse 63. Now the men who were holding Jesus in custody were mocking him as they beat him. So they've arrested him, he's been taken, and they're mocking him as they beat him. They also blindfolded him and kept asking him, prophesy, who is it that struck you? And they said many other things against him, blaspheming. This is the fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 53. You're going to see many fulfillments of Isaiah chapter 53. It's like it's almost a parallel story if you read Isaiah 53. If you look at verse 3 of Isaiah 53, it says this. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. As one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. So Jesus is beaten, he is mocked. This is Jesus Christ, King of kings, Lord of lords, the word of God incarnate, creator of all things, on his knees, probably on his hands and knees, being beaten, blindfolded, slapped, and mocked. For our sakes, for you and for me. Look at chapter three, Luke chapter three, starting at verse one. Then the whole company of them arose and brought him before Pilate, and they began to accuse him, saying, We found this man misleading our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar, and saying that he himself is Christ the king. Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, You have said so. Pilate said to the chief priests and to the crowds, I find no guilt guilt in this man. But they were urgent, saying, he stirs up the people, teaching throughout all Judea and from Galilee even to this place. Skip down to verse 13. Pilate then called together the chief priests and the rulers and the people and said to them, You brought me this man as one who is misleading the people. And after examining him before you, behold, I do not find this man guilty of any of your charges against him. Neither did Herod for he sent him back to us so Pilate was the Roman governor Herod was the kind of the governor in charge of the Jews in that area and they're sending Jesus back and forth i don't know what to do with him well i don't know, know what to do with him Herod's kind of entertained with him hoping he does some kind of miracle or sign and then nothing happens <laughs> he's kind of disgusted like i oh, didn't do any tricks for me you know send it back to Pilate yeah nothing happening here and so they're sending him back and forth and neither one of them have any charges against him so he's verse 16 i will therefore punish and release him Pilate. <clears throat> verse 18 but they all cried out together away with this man and release to us barabbas a man who had been thrown into prison for an insurrection started in the city and for murder we don't want Jesus, who's done nothing. We want the murdering rioter. Really? This is the mob mentality. It's like the there's people out there in the crowd stirring up the mob. They want Jesus dead. And so they're stirring up the mob. Release Barabbas. <laughs> Crucify Jesus. It's the crazy mob mentality. They kept shouting, crucify him, crucify him. A third time, Pilate said to them, why? What evil has he done? I have found in him no guilt deserving death. I will therefore punish and release him. But they were urgent, demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified, and their voices prevailed. So Pilate decided that their demand should be granted. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, for whom they had asked, but he delivered Jesus over to their will. And so the innocent Jesus is sent to death. He is sentenced to death. The murderous Barabbas is set free. And you just look at that, you read that, and you just wonder why. I mean, that there's just no logic, no reason in that at all you know if you're a star trek fan you're like spock he'd be like illogical (laughs) illogical this is not this is illogical Makes no sense at all but it was god's plan for our salvation that's the answer that's the why god takes the foolishness of this world and he uses it for his glory and his wisdom is considered foolishness to this world Isaiah 53.10 says this, it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. So you want to know who killed Jesus? This is raging debate in theological circles for hundreds of years. Who killed Jesus? Was it the Jews? Was it the Romans? The answer to who killed Jesus is right there in Isaiah 53.10. God killed Jesus. It was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. Verse 32 the two other criminals were with him. They were led away to be put to death with him. He was numbered with the transgressors. He's fulfilling that prophecy. When they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals. One on his right and one on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Hard to love your enemies, isn't it? Jesus dying on the cross, bleeding, his body broken for us, blood poured out for us. (laughs) What does he pray to the Father? Father, forgive them. I know some of us in this room, we got some enemies. We know we got I know some of us have some people that are like, man, it's hard to love that person. You don't know what they've done to me. You don't know how they've hurt me and my family. I can't forgive them. You can forgive them. Power of God, you can forgive them. The power of the Holy Spirit in your heart, you can love them. And you can cry out to God the Father just as Jesus did here. Right there, the people who nailed him to the cross are standing right in front of him. He says, Father, forgive them. Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're doing. Forgive them, Father. And so Jesus is teaching us how to love our neighbor as ourselves. He's teaching us how to love and forgive our Enemies, even those who would put us to death. Father, forgive them, he says. <clears throat> they don't know what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. So they're playing games with his clothes, like, hey, we're rolling dice. That's what casting lots is. So they're rolling dice. Hey, I want the, the outer garment. That's a nice jacket he had. All this happening right in front of him. He's dying on the cross. Two other men also. They're playing games for his clothes, mocking him, all these things right in front of him. It's also fulfilling a scripture. Casting lots to divide his garments. The people stood by, verse 35, watching, but the rulers scoffed at him, saying, he saved others, let him save himself. If he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The Roman soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And there was also an inscription over him. This is the king of the Jews. And so we see the innocent Christ, the Lamb of God, is stripped, beaten, tortured, and mocked for the sake of our salvation. Isaiah 53, 5 says, he was pierced. For our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. He took the punishment that we deserve on himself. He was crushed for our iniquities. You know, I've used this as an illustration in dealing with some of the wrongdoings of my own children, where they deserve a spanking. I won't name names. It's probably happened to all of them at some point. They deserve a spanking, so we go up to the place where this usually happens because they've been bad. I got the spanking paddle, and we have a talk. It's like, okay, you understand why you're here? Like, mumble a little bit. <laughs> you kids know what I'm talking about. I won't say too much. I will to make it worse. Yep. And while you're here, yep. Okay. You know what the punishment for that is, right? Yep. That's a spanking. Spanking paddle right here. Turn around. Assume the position. And I take that spanking paddle and I hit my own arm with it. whack, whack, whack. And they hear the whack. And it hurts. Man, that hurts. Big red welt on my arm. Turn around, they look at me like, what was that? What just happened? Punishment was the spanking. Daddy took the (laughs) spanking. That's what's happened but for our souls. He took the wrath of God we deserve for our sins on himself. That's what Jesus did for us. I'll take it he said. He took it for us. Verse 39. One of the criminals who were hanged. All the kids are going to be like, hey, dad, will you do that, <laughs> One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, are you not the Christ? So even one of the criminals on the cross are joining in with this scoffing and mocking. Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward for our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus said to him, truly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. And here we clearly see that we're not saved at all by our works, because this is the thief on the cross. He's the robber up there on the cross. How could he do any good works? How could he go to temple? How could he go through the feasts? How could he go to confession? How could he do, do any of these things that, you know, we prescribe as good works to be saved? Nothing he can do other than admit he's a sinner. That's what he just did on the cross. I deserve being up here. And Jesus, remember me in your kingdom. He's trusting in Jesus right there. He's done no good works. And we just read in John chapter 6, this is the work of God that we believe in his son, Jesus, who he has sent. That's the work of God. And so when someone says, you know, we got to do good works, we got to go through these rituals, I just always ask them, what about this thief on the cross? What about him? Oh, yeah, good point. (laughs) He is saved by faith in Jesus Christ right there as he is dying on that cross with Jesus. And it also shows me, too, hey, never give up on praying for the salvation of the lost. Never give up. They may be lying there on their deathbed and then suddenly, yes, I believe Jesus. You just never know. (laughs) Never give up on praying for the salvation of the lost. We all have family members, loved ones, friends that we want to see come to Jesus. And they seem to just continue to reject and scoff and reject and scoff. Foolishness. I'll never believe that mumbo jumbo. But God can save their souls. God can draw them to Jesus and they will come and they will believe, just as we've been reading in John chapter six. And it may be in their dying breaths when they do that. Never give up on them. Keep praying for them. Now, verse 44 <clears throat> the death of Jesus. It was about the sixth hour. There was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, while the sun's light faded and the curtain of the temple was torn in two and Jesus calling out with a loud voice said father into your hands I commit my spirit and having said this he breathed his last <coughs> Jesus died he died physical death his body died he breathed his last. Verse 47. Now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God saying, certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowds that had assembled for this spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, returned home, beating their breasts. Jesus died on the cross and took the wrath of God we deserve for his sins. We were his enemies, yet he laid down his life for us so that we could live by faith in him. Isaiah 53 6 says all we like sheep have gone astray we have turned everyone to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all Isaiah 53 11, out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied by his knowledge shall shall the righteous one my servant make many to be accounted righteous and he shall bear their iniquities Jesus is fulfilling these scriptures. Look at verse 50. Jesus is buried. There was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of the council, a good and righteous man who had not consented to their decision and action to kill Jesus. And he was looking for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. He took it down, wrapped it in a linen shroud, and laid it in a tomb cut in stone, where no one had ever yet been laid. So I emphasize this here so that we'll all know Jesus was really dead. He didn't just pass out or swoon on the cross. Some are going to say, well, no one can rise from the dead. So he probably wasn't truly dead. He was just, you know, knocked unconscious up there from the agony of it all. And he just kind of like was, was knocked out or swooned. No, Jesus is really dead. Spears pierced his side, blood and water flowed out. He was buried, wrapped up in, in burial cloths. They wrap him tight in those cloths. And he was buried, he was put in a tomb. Jesus died a real death. <laughs> Isaiah 53, 9 says, and they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. And so Jesus has died on the cross. He has been buried. But that is also not the end of the story. Look at verse 24 or chapter 24, verse one. On the first day of the week at early dawn, when the tomb, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And I love the, the apostles' response. So these words seemed to them to be an idle tale, and they didn't believe them. They didn't believe the apostles, the disciples, they, they didn't believe Jesus rose from the dead. Eyewitnesses are starting to come in, the eyewitness reports are coming in live on location from the tomb. Uh, the tomb has been rolled, the stone has been rolled away, Jesus' clothes are laid, the bearer clothes are lying here neatly, like no one ripped them off or anything, and there was two dazzling men standing here, they're so dazzling, and uh, he's risen, just like he said. Great news! Good news! Back to you, Mary. <laughs> the apostles are like, ah, that's fake news fake news ain't real can't happen no way nah why do you seek the living among the dead he's not here He is risen i love those words those are precious words you know you can go and visit the green dome that's the tomb of muhammad in medina his bones are there you can get on a plane and go see him you can go visit the pagodas of Buddhism and see the remains of Buddha. They're kind of scattered all over China. You know, it's a tourist attraction. Come see the skull of Buddha. Come see uh, this remain of Buddha in this pagoda. These things are amazing temple-like structures. Beautiful. You can go see Buddha's dead body. And buy tickets. You can go visit the cemetery of Confucius. His bones are there and his family's bones are there. But if you go to Israel today, one thing that you will not see are the bones of Jesus Christ. They are not there. There's an empty tomb there. Because he has risen from the grave. He is alive. You will not see his bones there. And after his resurrection, he appears to many people, proving he is alive multiple times. In Luke 24, 13 through 35, we see he appears to two of his followers who were walking on the road from Jerusalem to Emmaus as a whole conversation with them. He walked with them. He talks with them. He sits down to eat with them. Then in chapter 24, verse 36 and on, he appears to his disciples multiple times. Look at verse 36, chapter 24, 36. So as they were talking about this, these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace, To you. So he's just suddenly there. Like they're all around. Like in the room. Talking to each other. And poof. There's Jesus. Peace to you. He says. Now look at their response. They're startled and frightened. And thought they saw a spirit. It's the ghost of Jesus. He's here. No, this ain't no ghost. (laughs) This is Jesus. He has a body. You can touch him. You can feel him. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your heart? Now, these words give me so much comfort because so often I doubt in my heart the things of God. Like, God, this is so hard. Am I going to make it through this, God? And he's, yes, you're going to make it through this. Just trust him. I'm no different than these, these apostles. They're no different than us. Doubts arise. In their hearts, and Jesus knows doubts are arising in their hearts. He says, why are you troubled? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. He knows their hearts. He knows they're having trouble believing all of this. Touch me, feel me, I'm alive. Ghosts don't have flesh and bones like I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they were still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, you have anything to eat? Hello. <laughs> Jesus rolls up on the scene. He's like, hey, what's cooking? Got anything to eat? Now, is he really hungry? He might be. Or he might just be wanting to show them, hey, I'm, I'm really alive. I'm going to eat something. I'm going to prove it. Got anything to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish. He took it and ate it before them. He's showing them, hey, I am alive. I have a body. I eat. I touch. I feel. I smell. All my senses are alive. And he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was with you. That everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms, that's all of the Old Testament scriptures, by the way, all of those three things, must be fulfilled. And he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But I say, stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. So you want to know where Jesus is right now? He is in heaven. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father in heaven. He rose, literally, up to heaven. Like Superman, fly it up into the sky. Only he didn't stop like at the edge of the atmosphere. He's up in heaven. Say, where's heaven? I don't know. It's way up. It's way, way up. He's in heaven, sitting at the right hand of God the Father. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising God. And so again, he appears to them. Many witnesses here, not just one. Eyewitness reports. They all see Jesus. They see him carried up into heaven. No other prophet or any other world religion has risen from the dead. None. Go look for yourself. None other than Jesus. He's the only one who's risen from the dead. And Jesus' resurrection proves he is who he says he is. He is almighty God. So let's consider the importance of these things in our lives today. Why does this matter for us today? Why should I care about this? How is this relevant for my personal life here in Youngsville, Lake Forest, uh, North Carolina? Why does this matter to me? Well, the Apostle Paul wrote of this in 1 Corinthians 15 and in Romans chapter 6. I want to talk about those briefly. It is in the resurrection of Jesus that we have a living hope for our souls that Peter writes about in 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 3, which we say every week as we open our services here. We can have a living hope in our souls through his resurrection from the dead. If in this life, if this life is all there is, and this body is all we have, then there really is no hope for our souls. If this is it, and the older we get, everyone understands that a lot more. Because right? when you're young, you're like, oh, I'm a whole life in front of me, I'm going experience all these things and it's going to be great and then blah. blah, blah. And so as you get older and older and older and this body breaks down and the mind breaks down and you experience all the grief and sufferings and sorrows that this sin of this world pours in our lives. My God, if this is all there is, I have no hope. If there is no resurrection, we have no hope. So turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 15. I want us to see this clearly. 1 Corinthians 15, starting at verse 14. 1 Corinthians 15, 14. If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. So all this preaching that we do every week, if Christ didn't rise from the dead, it's all in vain. It's all worthless. It's just all, it's just foolishness. Don't even come. Don't be here. Go find something else to do. Work in the garden or something. Because if Christ didn't rise from the dead, our preaching is null and void. It's in vain. The Bible saying that. We are even found to be misrepresenting God. I'd be a liar. I'd be lying to you every week. Because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. And those also who have fallen asleep, that means (laughs) they passed away, they died. In Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. So if Christ didn't really raise from the dead, this is all a bunch of of junk. People should pity us for our false hope. It's a very clear message here. If there is no resurrection from the dead, there is no hope. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. And so we have hope of eternal life in him, knowing that we also will be like him someday.
1: And that is why Paul continues and
0: writes later in 1 Corinthians 15, starting at verse 50. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the imperishable inherit, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery we shall not all sleep, but we all shall be changed. And so I bring us to this passage so we can see two things. One is that we will live forever with Jesus with an imperishable, immortal body. And the other is that we have victory over sin and death in our lives. Our love for the Lord and for each other is not in vain. It's not a waste. Our hope for being with Christ in heaven is not in vain. Many of us have had those we love, Pass on to be with the Lord. Family, friends, loved ones, they're not with us anymore on this earth. They have gone on to be with the Lord. Our hope to see them again in heaven is not in vain, brothers and sisters. We will see them again through faith in Jesus. We have victory over death and the grave through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We have a living hope for a glorious life with Jesus in heaven through his resurrection. So that's one main reason the resurrection is important to our lives today. Another from Romans chapter 6, and I'll close with this, Romans chapter 6, verses 3 through 10. Another impact of the resurrection on our lives is, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. Because of Jesus' resurrection from the, from the dead, you are not a slave to sin through faith in him. For one who has died has been set free from sin. So consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Jesus Christ. So not only does the resurrection of Jesus give us a living hope for eternal life of him in heaven, it gives us power over sin in our lives today. Some people, they they talk to me like, I just can't help myself. Yes, you can. (laughs) Through faith in Jesus and his resurrection from the dead, you have victory over sin in your life. You are not a slave to sin anymore. You can say, as Paul said in Romans, I am dead to sin. You can say, sin, you are dead to me. You are free from sin. And when you're faced with temptation to sin, you can say, no, I sin, you are dead to me. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to choose to do what's right. I'm alive to God in Christ. So I want us, brothers and sisters, to consider that old self as that was a slave to sin, to be dead, crucified with Christ, just as Christ died. And consider that your new self is alive in Christ. You walk in newness of life and righteousness in him. When you're tempted to be angry, just say, sin, you're dead to me. When you're tempted to be impatient, say, "Sin, you're dead to me." When you're tempted to gossip, say, "Sin, you are dead to me." I'm not going to say that. When you're tempted to steal, say, "Sin, you're dead to me." When you're tempted to poke your brother in the ribs to get on his nerves, pull that finger back. Say, "Sin, you're dead to me." I'm not going to stir up strife in my family. When you're tempted to do some nasty prank to your sister. They send your debt to me, and going love each other, starting in our families. And so, brothers and sisters, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead gives us power over sin in our lives today. We have victory in Jesus over sin and death. Will you trust in him today? For those who are here that maybe haven't believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, will you trust in him today? Will you believe in him today and have eternal and abundant life? For those who have, will you walk in faith and love and joy and peace, be filled with the spirit, feed on the living bread of Jesus now and forevermore.